All right, 1 Peter chapter 3, let's pray and we'll dig into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We ask, Lord, as we go to your word right now, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. And Lord, I'm so thankful for this morning's text, just about the, the choice to love. Greater love hath no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You loved us so much, you'd rather die than live without us. But Lord, now that we walk in the fullness of your Holy Spirit, we ask, Lord, that we would love the way you love. We would not only love one another, but we would love our enemies. And Lord, we would choose to, to love the life you've given us, to recognize what a privilege it is that you came that we might have life and life more abundant. I pray for everyone who's here today. If anybody's new, I pray they'd feel welcomed and loved. I pray also for those who may be struggling that you would meet them right where they are. We pray for those that are watching on live stream, those that will watch on Vimeo and YouTube later and Facebook and then also on the radio. Lord, take this word and use it for your glory. We ask that the ministry of your Holy Spirit would be alive and active, ministering to every heart this morning. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray and all God's people said. You don't have an outline. They're helpful, really helpful to help you follow along. We have outlines on the back table if you didn't get one. But really quickly, let's talk about context. You heard me say you take text out of context, all you left is a con. Amen. This letter was written by Peter to the early church during a time of great persecution. The church had been scattered because of persecution in Jerusalem. Many had left their families behind. And in the midst of the persecution, there were many people during, you know, when things get tough, sometimes you know, the hope would be that we run to the Lord, but sometimes people run from the Lord. Sometimes people get mad at God or, or question God or doubt God. And Peter's exhorting those in the midst of great trials and tribulation, and he's exhorting and encouraging them and reminding them of the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God. This book, this letter as a whole was words of encouragement and exhortation to all, to not allow their very difficult circumstances to cause them to walk away from the Lord or to deny their faith in any way. Some would say, well, if I keep talking about the Lord, I'll get fed to lions. Well, none of us have that problem yet. Amen. Uh, I might get fed to lions. I might get set on fire. I might be burned at the stake. And you know, and the exhortation was keep talking about the Lord anyway. And we don't talk to people about the Lord because we're afraid our next door neighbor might not like us very much if we talk to him about the Lord. So far, Peter's reminding them of their hope in Christ, of their heavenly inheritance. Hey guys, we're going to heaven. Amen. Amen. And heaven is better. And I can't wait to get there. And I know that the Lord will not return to that last person prior to the rapture gets saved. So if that's you, get saved today and we'll go to heaven this afternoon. Can I get an amen? We can have an agape feast in heaven. But we want, you know, we're going to heaven. And I think we get so caught up in the temporal things of this life and we forget the eternal. And that's one of the many things that can cause us to be fearful or anxious or depressed. He also encouraged them that they no longer walk in, in uh, ignorance because they have the word of God. They've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. And in light of these tr truths, he then, ex you know, every one, the, every one of these letters, it starts off with what we believe and then how we behave. It talks about, this is what the word of God teaches us. This is who we are in Christ. This is what we believe. And then this is how we should behave. So in light of all the encouragements, you're going to heaven. God's faithful. God's in control. The Lord loves you. He then says, be ye holy for, I am ho for he is holy. To love one another fervently. To lay aside deceit and hypocrisy and evil speaking. To desire the word, the pure milk of God's word. And to recognize that we are just sojourners here. Again, this is not our home. Heaven is our home. Amen? And this is temporary. And all that we go through in this life is but for a little while, as Peter said in an earlier chapter. Amen? So whatever we're going through compared to eternity is for but a little while. 1 Peter 2.15 says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. The best way to silence the critics and the foolish and untrue accusations of an ignorant and an ungodly world is to live a life that is above reproach, that brings glory and honor to the name of our Savior. So last week, if you were here, we came to the portion that talked 
Uh, first, uh, again, we touched on marriage. We touched on the role of husbands and the role of wives. And I, I tell the message last week, and well, you can go on our website. The messages are always free. You can go on there anytime. But how to impact your home for Jesus. And we talked about by following the example of Jesus. And then by being a godly wife. We talked about the heart of a godly wife. Submission. The true beauty of a godly woman is a gentle and a quiet spirit. The man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. And then we saw the example of a godly wife in Sarah. And then we talked about being a godly husband. And how, how, how are we godly husbands, men? Well, first of all, by honoring your wife. Honoring your wife. By the way, no, there are no perfect marriages. Amen? Everybody's afraid to say it sitting next to their spouse. Amen. <laughs> Amen, right? You know why there's no perfect marriages? Because there's no perfect people. And marriage takes work, and we all have to die to ourselves. Amen? And you know what? God have us marry people that are nothing like us. Amen? And he did that on purpose. You know why? So you have to die to yourself. My wife and I have been married 37 years. I'm, I still blow it. <laughs> She'll say amen. Amen? I mean, we're still learning, right? Dying to ourselves. But as husbands, we need to honor our wives, dwell with them with understanding, treat her with love and respect, treasure her, serve her, protect her and provide for her. Let me say that one more time. You should be the first line of defense to protect your wife. You should never speak ill of your wife. You should never talk down about your wife. You should honor your wife, respect your wife, provide for your wife, care for your wife, love your wife. And you know what? It's easier for a woman to submit to that kind of a man. Amen? You be God, as you submit to the Lord, it's easy for her to submit to you. And that's what God's called us to do. And it says that your prayers may not be hindered. If you're not honoring your wife, it's going to hinder your prayer life. So now we move from that. We're only going to look, I was hoping to cover more verses. We're going to look at five verses this morning. You know, I like to cover more than that typically. But I tell the message, love is a choice. If you have your outline, grab it. Love is a choice. And it's a choice that's reflected in our actions. And we're going to see three different ways that we love. First of all, love one another. Now this is talking about other believers. It says in John 13, 55, by this, all will know that we are, you are my disciples if you have love one for another. One of the things I love about our fellowship is that when people visit, like when my family members come from, my sister has visited here, and she says, you know, you have the most loving church. You guys are just a big family. And you know what? We are a big family. Amen? I mean, we love each other unconditionally. And by the way, if you're here for the first time today, we just adopted you. Welcome to the family. Amen? We don't have church membership here. You show up. But you know what? As believers... Our love, our relationship with the Lord should be reflected in how much we love each other. We'll talk about this in depth as we go through it. We're of one mind, having compassion. We love as brothers, to be tender-hearted and to be courteous. Now, loving one another, okay, I can do that. Point two, love your enemies. Oh, I don't know about that. Love your enemies. Not returning evil for evil. That speaks about actions. We want to get revenge. We want to defend ourselves. But guys, it's always better to let the Lord defend you. Amen? Let the Lord bring their one. If there needs to be vengeance, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And not reviling for reviling. Now, evil for evil speaks of actions. Reviling for reviling speaks of words. And you know what Christians need to be very careful? Social media. Can I get an amen to that? It's very easy to see somebody that's standing for something horrible and to want to chime in. And again, I'm not saying we shouldn't witness to them, but do it in love. Amen? We don't want to be more recognized by how we line up politically than who we follow as Lord, God, Savior, and King. Amen? And we don't want to win arguments. We want to win people to the kingdom of God. I don't want to win an argument and then lose the opportunity to minister to somebody. Amen? So we need to, don't overcome evil with evil, and don't revile for revile. If somebody attacks you verbally, pray for them. You know, a soft answer turns away wrath, and if it doesn't, you can walk away. Amen? Be kind, be loving, and again, the enemy wants to provoke you to anger, but that's not, if the Bible, again, if we only love those who love us back, we're no better than the world. Amen? The world loves people that love them, but the real mark of a Christian is loving people that don't love you back. And then finally, 
I titled this Love Life, and I don't want this to sound like, you know, that person who's going to just love your life in some big hyper, you know, positive movement. No, we should love this life because Jesus came that we might have life and life more abundantly. Amen? He, Jesus gave us this life. The Lord God, God is the creator. Jesus is the creator. He created us in his image and he allows us to live here and he gave us his Holy Spirit and he blesses us in this life and we should love the life that God has given us. Now, there's a lot of ways that we approach life. Down there at the bottom of, on, on number three, it says we can decide to endure life and make it a burden. Oh, yeah, how's, your, how's it going, bro? Uh, uh, you know, uh, just, oh, man. Uh, just, oh. Uh. You hear that all the time. As Christians, we shouldn't look like we've been sucking on lemons. Can I get an amen? Yes. We shouldn't be walking around just bummed out and, oh, man, and woe is me and ain't it awful. And, and anybody ever watch Gulliver's Travels? This is an old, oh, it's never going to work. We're all going to die. We're all doomed, right? You know, that one, that one character just followed him around all the time. And I'm like, wow, what a joy. That guy needs Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. We, can die, we, can decide, we can attempt to escape life as though we're running from a battle. We can live in fear. Now, again, remember, he's talking to people whose lives are on the line. He's encouraging and exhorting them to, to love the life that God has given them and to recognize what a blessing that it is. So we can endure life and make it a burden. We can attempt to escape life or we can enjoy life, not because our circumstances are perfect because they never will be, or because it's easy, but because we know that God is in control. See guys, the sovereignty of God should bring joy to every circumstance. Amen? God is in control. God loves us. He's faithful, we can trust him, we trust his character, and we should praise him in the midst of the storm. Don't put your eyes on the waves, keep your eyes on Jesus, and recognize that heaven is coming and God is faithful. It says in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes, uh, does not come but except to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come, you may have life, you may have it more abundantly. So love is a choice. Love one another. Love your enemies and love life. Let's begin there. Love is a choice. Love one another. By this, we will know my disciples if you have love one for another. So he's just talked to them about the role of husbands, the role of wives. He's talked about exhorting them and encouraging them to have a, a family and a home that honors the Lord. And then he says in verse eight, finally. Now, Peter's not finishing the letter because he's got two more chapters to go. But Peter is, is summing up the section on how we are to relate to one another. In light of who we are in Christ, in light of what all the Lord has done for us, how should we be relating to each other? He's talked about husbands and wives. He's talked about believers. And then he, so then he says, finally, likewise, or finally, all of you be of one mind. All of you be of one mind. There should be unity amongst believers. Amen. When you have Jesus in common, we've got everything in common. You've heard me say that blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. Amen? When we have the Lord in common, isn't there an immediate koinony of fellowship when you find out that someone else is a believer? Doesn't it just change your relationship in a moment? I had a customer, most of you guys know I have a full-time job. I sell advertising and, and software for small businesses, and I've been with the company 33 years. And I was on a Zoom call with one of my clients, uh, we had to fix some things for him. And the guy that I was on the Zoom call works in our headquarters in Dallas, Texas. I'd never met him before. And we're talking and the Zoom meeting, I'm using it when I go out and see customers, I'm in a suit and tie, but I was wearing my Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz sweatshirt. And uh, at the end of it, he said, hey, can you hang on for a minute? And we let the customer go. And he goes, Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz, isn't that Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel? I said, yeah. He goes, oh, you go to a Calvary Chapel. So watch, I pastor a Calvary Chapel. He said, you're kidding. And we started talking about the Lord and, and we just talked about the Lord for like 45 minutes. And then he was sharing with me some struggles his family was going through. And then I shared him about the recent death of our son. And we're weeping together on the phone. And then we prayed together for almost half an hour. And then our call ended with, man, I love you, bro. And he said, man, I love you too. And, I, and, then, and, and then he said, you know, I've got family out in Corona. I'm going to be there in about a month. I'm going to come visit your church. I said, I can't wait to hug you in person. And guys, when you have Jesus in common, that's what happens. Amen. There's, this, that, there's that immediate koinony of fellowship. I'd never heard of him before. I still haven't seen him in person. We're on a Zoom meeting, but we got Jesus in common. So we are brothers in Christ. Amen. 
And that's the encouragement here, is that we should all be unified because we're all of one mind. So there's not your truth and my truth and my mind and your mind. It's the mind of the Lord that we follow. Amen? And how do we know God's mind? We read God's word. Amen? You know what unifies us? The cross. You know what unifies us? What the word of God says. Now, it's not uniformity, like we all have to dress the same and act the same. No, it's unity, that even in our differences, we have that one thing in common that cannot be moved and is unshakable, and it is our relationship with the Lord. People of the world need to see unity amongst Christians, uh, you know, united with one mind. There's too much debate going on amongst Christians about things that just don't matter. Amen? Secondary issues. Now, there are things we need to stand for. If someone proclaims to be a Christian and denies the deity of Jesus Christ, they're not a Christian, and we need to have a chat lovingly. Amen? But there are things that we should unify on, and we shouldn't... I, I, people send me stuff because I'm a pastor. I get stuff all the time, and there's, there's all these pastors now that all their videos are showing up where they're, dog, they're just screaming at people, and if, you wear, if, you wear, if you're wearing pants today, ladies, you're in sin, and men, if, you, hair is, you know, if you can, your hair is over your ears, you're in sin, and I mean, none of that's in the Bible, and you just need to stop it, amen? And, and they send me all the videos like, here's one of your buddies. It's not my buddy, Amen. But the reality is that we need to be preaching Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead. And I want everybody to know here, I don't, I don't care what you wear to church, just wear something. But I just don't care, I don't care what you wear to church. <laughs> Amen. Everybody's welcome. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. I was a youth pastor for 15 years. And I remember one guy showed up. He literally had a purple mohawk that was spiked up to here. And he had horns that he had had embedded in the top of his head right here. And about 50 piercings. And, he, and, he, and I heard him when he was coming up. He goes, I'm going to go scare the death out of your pastor. So he comes walking up. And I hugged him. And I said, I love you, bro. I'm glad you're here. And, he's, and he just kind of got freaked out a little bit. Look. <laughs> It's all about love God and love people. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love people. That doesn't mean some people. It doesn't mean the people that are just like you. And as believers, we need to be united in our love for the Lord and our desire to see people saved. Amen? The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is? It's people. And we want to see people come to know the Lord. You could say that Christians are... I don't know, like a choir, each singing with his own voice, some singing different parts, but everyone's singing to the same music and harmony with one another. Does that make sense? You might all, we all have different gifts. If somebody's playing an instrument. We all have different voices, but we're all singing the same song with the same harmony. We're all pointing people to Jesus. We're all worshiping the same true and living God. We all love his word. And because we do, we should be loving one another. Philippians 2.5, let this mind also be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. You know, Jesus served. Jesus loved. Jesus laid down his life and we need to do the same. One mind, how is it possible for all believers to have one mind? Again, it brings us back to the need to know God's word. See, it's not my opinion and your opinion, it's what does God's word say? And too often, the reason there's division, well, I have an opinion or I have a thought or we get caught up in, and I'm getting sent these all the time too, these guys who call themselves progressive Christians. They're, they're, they might be progressive, but they're not Christians. And they're, they're talking about why homosexuality is okay, while, why drugs use, whatever they want, they say it's okay, and they try to use the word of God, and again, you take a text out of context, so I got left a con, and we got a bunch of cons on the internet, amen? Now, that being said, we all should be so united that we know, and we should know the word of God so well, that when someone points out a counterfeit thing, that we recognize it immediately, because we know the truth, Amen? And at the same time, if somebody is like, if I, I'm, I'm trying to reach out to this guy. He's not that far from here. This one guy, I keep getting his stuff sent to me. And I want to take this guy to lunch. And I want to look across the table and say, bro, I love you. The Lord loves you. And let's sit down and talk about this. And I'm not And look, we should never be arrogant or self-righteous. We're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Amen? And we need to let people know the love of Christ. How can we have unity? Because we read the same book. Amen? Amen. 
Sandy Adams tells this story, and he said, you know, he was, he was at the Masters. Sandy Adams, one of my favorite Bible teachers, a Calvary Chapel guy in, in Georgia. And he was at the Masters, and he was sitting next to a guy. Someone gave him a ticket, and the guy asked him, well, what do you do for a living? And he told him, and he said, you know, your job should be easy. You guys only got one book. <laughs> you just study that same book. Over and over and over. And you know what? What's profound about that is that guy's right. We've only got one book. And too often people are teaching books about the Bible. We just need to be teaching books in the Bible. Let's just open up the Bible. Open it, read it, obey it, teach it. Notice it says there, being of one mind, having compassion. You know, our our world needs compassion so desperately. The word compassion there literally means to suffer with. It's only the word with and suffer, to suffer with somebody else. That's what it means to have compassion. Excuse me. You guys have been so compassionate to our family since Mark went to heaven four months ago. And you know what? That's the way the church should be. Amen? You know, when someone else is hurting, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. That's what the Bible says. We are to be compassionate and loving and kind people. We should not be self-righteous and pointing fingers at everybody else and talking down to people. We should be loving and kind and gracious. Amen? And he talks about compassion, suffering, or feeling with another. It describes the heart that the believers should have for one another. We should be compassionate. So if somebody comes here and maybe they're a new believer, maybe they don't know the Lord yet, we should do nothing but love all over them. Amen? and encourage them, and share with them, and minister to them, and be available for them, holding up each other's hands. Remember when Moses, they were, they were fighting the Amalekites, and, and uh, the Lord says, as long as you hold up your hands, you'll have victory. And you'll remember after a while, his hands got weary. And then two men came and stood beside him and held up his hands. See, and when his hands went down, the enemy started winning. And you know, the Amalekites are a picture of the flesh in the Bible. And guys, when our hands are lifted up, it's a sign of surrender and worship. And as long as we're surrendered to the Lord and we're worshiping Him, we can have victory over the flesh. Amen? But when our hands are falling and the enemy starts running over us, instead of, you know, stomping on our wounded, we need to come alongside them and help them hold up their hands. Amen? That's why fellowship is so important. As iron sharpens iron, so man builds up the countenance of his friends. We should bear one another's burdens. Often our trials are preparation for us to minister to others who will face that same trial later. Having been there, that common experience is a great opportunity for ministry. Been there or not, as Christian family, we should have a compassionate heart for one another. Again, whether you've been here once or, or you've been coming for years, I just want you to know the Lord loves you and so do I. And my love for you is unconditional. And there's nothing you can do to get the Lord to stop loving you. And there's nothing you can do to get me to stop loving you. And I hope that we all feel that way about each other. Can I get an amen to that? And so let's, let's be loving. Let's be kind. Let's be gracious. You know, we're going we're gonna to spend eternity together. Let's get along now. Amen? Let's start loving on each other now. Notice what it says there of compassion for one another. Love as brothers. The word there for brothers is where we get the word Philadelphia. Remember, this was a measure Jesus gave the world to identify. It's one I quoted earlier. By this, they will all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. The world does not love us, but will mock us, reject us, persecute us. But our love comes from our Christian family. Again, it says in 1 John 4, if someone says, I love God, but hates another Christian... That person is a liar. For we don't love people we can see. How can we love God whom we have not seen? And God himself has commanded that we must love not only him, but our Christian brothers and sisters too. Our love for one another is a big part of our witness. Again, as Jesus said, that you love one another as I have loved you. And by this, they will know you're my disciples. So there needs to be that love. And I give you one guess what that word love is in Greek. What do you think? agape. Now remember, there's three words for love. There's actually four, but the three main words for love that are used in the Bible are phileo, agape, and eros. Eros is where we get the word erotic. It is a, it's lust. It is a selfish love, if you will, that only, only is in it for what it can get. 
When people say, I fell out of love, what you're saying is, I stopped getting what I wanted from you. Well, nowhere in the Bible does it say that that other person is supposed to take care of you. Amen? You get married to serve your spouse, not so your spouse will serve you. Amen? So Eros love is all conditional on the other person's performance, and when they stop performing, I leave. And go find another person I can Eros for a while until that one's not measuring up, then I'll get another one. Agape, where Eros is, what can you do for me? Agape is, what can I do for you? Eros is, how can you serve me? Agape is, how can I serve you? So we're to have agape love one for another. We're to esteem others greater than ourselves, to die to ourselves, to love each other, and to love each other unconditionally. That's what the Lord has called us to do. Notice he says, not only love his brothers, but be tenderhearted. Now, sometimes these words can sound kind of wimpy. Oh, you're tenderhearted? Come on, be a man. You know what? A godly man is tenderhearted. Our Savior is tenderhearted. Can I get an amen to that? Loving and kind and gracious. The context here is toward those who are enduring persecution. Again, as born-again believers, our hearts should break when we see people enduring great trials or suffering unjustly. As believers, the world often portrays us as self-righteous and even hateful, also narrow-minded, you know, when they portray a Christian in a movie or in a TV show, often they're some self-righteous or they're just a buffoon. And that's how they portray us. And you know what? We need to break that down and let people see that that's not who we are. We must not be hard-hearted or arrogant, but broken and kind and gracious. And we need to know the Lord, know the word and love people the way the Lord loves us. Guys, we carry his name. We're Christians. Amen. We are followers of Jesus Christ. We are a reflection of him. Do our attitudes and actions draw others to Christ or do they drive them away? We don't want to be self-righteous. We don't want to be that person that gives Jesus a bad name. By the way, most people don't have a problem with Jesus. They got a problem with his followers. Amen. We need to do a better job reflecting Jesus. What could Jesus have done to make people mad? All he did was love and serve and lay down his life. Amen. And people don't like it because, again, it is a requirement on their part to respond to him. Show me a man or a woman who's divisive, unloving, and hard-hearted, and I will show you a man or a woman who is not walking in the Spirit. Amen? If you're divisive, if you're unloving, and you're hard-hearted, and you're arrogant, or you're prideful, those are all things that are contrary to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And all that other stuff is the fruit of the flesh. So we should be reflecting the Spirit as we walk in the fullness of the Spirit. By the way, I pray every morning before my feet hit the ground, Lord, fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit because I leak. Can I get an amen to that? And I need to be filled again. And I need to be filled again. And I need to be filled again. Amen? And we need to be filled again and pray for that every morning. At the time of this writing, the Roman Empire, compassion brotherly love and tenderness were not qualities that they admired. The Christian message changed all that. Christians to be different than the world. We should not be hateful. We should not be arrogant. We should not, again, we should be gracious. It's, it is by doing good that the accusations of the ignorant are silenced. Then lastly, he says, be courteous. This word is gentle, agreeable, or, or of a humble mind. Again, not proud, haughty, or overbearing. Esteeming others as greater than yourselves and acting like it. Peter's exhorting these early Christians living in a time of great difficulty to walk in unity, to not be divided, to have compassion for one another, to suffer with those who are hurting, to bear one another's burdens, to love each other as family, and by this you shall know that you are my disciples by your love that you have one for another. Again, tenderhearted is not hard-hearted or arrogant. Courteous is, courteous is being humble-minded, esteeming others greater than yourselves. And these are virtues that should be normal qualities of every Christian man or woman. I love when Paul talks about, or the Lord talks about Philip. He says, a man in whom there is no guile. Just a man who, who is no guile, a man who's kind and loving and gracious. And you know, we got a church filled with people like that. And again, we all have work to do. We all have growing to do, but praise God. And exhibited first toward other Christians and then the lost around us, because then look at the next verse. So we say, have love for one another, 
but also love for your enemies. And this is where it can get tough. Loving the unlovable. Loving people that are vile and make accusations against you and mistreat you and are hateful and mock our Savior. Look at verse 9. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. So not returning evil for evil. We're called by God to be a blessings to others. And the greatest challenge to love others comes when we have been wronged. Our natural response is hostility and, rest and, and retaliation. You see this on the road. Amen? Somebody cuts you off. You get mad. You know, and then all of a sudden there's road rage. Because you both have Christian stickers on the back of your car. <laughs> We're not to return evil for evil. The word they're returning means to deliver, uh, to get payback. I'm going to get payback, man. I'm going to pay that guy back. Evil for evil. Speaks of actions, of wickedness, wrong, destruction, or end or injury. We're not to respond to evil behavior with evil behavior. You've heard me say this before, it won't hurt you again. Dogs bark. And people who don't know God act like they don't know God. Amen? And they're acting according to their nature, so we need to act to, according to our new nature that we have in Christ. Amen? Shouldn't be surprised when people don't know God, act like they don't know God. They don't know any better. They're not born again. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They're walking in the flesh 100% of the time because they don't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. But as believers, we're called to be different. Amen? Amen. So that means you might just have to get wrong to let it go. Amen? Tell you what will help you. The next time, next time some guy cuts you off, pray for him. Amen? The next time somebody mistreats you at work, pray for them. You know what happens? Prayer doesn't change God's mind. It changes your heart. I find that the people I pray for the most, I love the most. Amen? So start praying for them. It's going to change your heart toward them. He, there's, we're just, that's us without Jesus. Amen? Amen? And we need to pray for him. And we need to love him. Reviling for reviling. This is railing and insults and unkind speech. We're not to respond to insults with insults, not respond to evil speech with evil speech. When someone injures you, you're not to seek to injure you back. And when someone insults you or lies about you or gossips about you, you're not to insult them back. Let the Lord defend you. He'll do a better job. Amen? If you're struggling, bring it to Lord, you know how I've been talked about at work. And Lord, you know what's going on. Lord, help me. Help me to respond the way you would respond. Help me to be kind. Help me to be loved. You know what? Lord, open that person's eyes. Use even this as an opportunity to point people to you. When someone insults you or lies, when the world reviles you, attacks you, persecutes you, a part of your calling is to respond in a kind and loving way. How do you do it? By blessing them. They seek to harm you, you seek to bless them. They lie and gossip and slander your name, you pray for them. Amen? They seek to harm you, you seek to bless them. They slander your name, you pray for them. We don't overcome evil with evil, the Bible says. You overcome evil with what? With good. We should be kind. We should be different. Our flesh loves to get even. It cries out for vengeance. But Jesus tells us in Matthew 5 that there's no great credit if we only love those who love us. The real test of our love is to demonstrate compassion to our enemies. Going back to 1 Peter chapter 2, just flip back to verse 21 to 23. Let me read this. It says, for this, 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. You know what? Leave that struggle in the hands of Almighty God. Pray for the person that reviles you. Rec you know, if you get bit by a dog, that's what dogs do. Amen? And by the way, when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that barks the loudest is the one you hit. So when you are talking to unbelievers, the one that gets the most angry is the one who's most convicted, and that's probably the one you need to keep praying for. Can I get an amen to that? So 
We need to look at all that we go through in this life as an opportunity for the gospel. And it's an opportunity to be a blessing to other people. And that only is going to happen if you die to yourself. If you don't try to get revenge, you leave it in God's hands. Recognize this too. This is a game changer when you think about it. That person that you're mad at, Jesus died for him. Jesus loved him so much, he'd rather die than live without him or her. Amen? And we need to love him the same. Amen? We represent Christ. As Christians, we are to follow the Lord's example, not the world's example. As Christians, we're to live again in one of three levels. We can return evil for evil. You know who does that? Or we can return evil for good. You know who does that? Satan. Amen? So good happens, and he does evil in return. That's Satan. We can return good for good and evil for evil. That's what the world does. Or we can return good for evil, and that's what the Lord does. Amen? Let me say that again. We can return evil for good. That's what Satan does. We can return good for good and evil for evil. That's what the world does. Or we can return good for evil, and that's what the Lord does. We need to follow his example and that of his apostles. You know, Peter, prior to Pentecost, when he didn't have the Holy Spirit, was lopping off ears. Amen? And that's only because he was bad with a sword. I think he was trying to take the dude's neck off, and he's just not good at it. Wait. He didn't catch any, he's a fisherman that catches no fish without Jesus' help in the entire Bible. So obviously, he's not the most gifted of all people apart from the Lord. But after Pentecost, when he and the apostles were persecuted, they depended on prayer and power and not their own strength or wisdom. And walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, he led 3,000 people to the Lord in a single day. Some of those very same people that he denied and said he didn't know the Lord in front of. See, guys, here's the key to being able to do all of this. We can't do this without the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? If you walk in the flesh, you'll never do it. If you walk in the Spirit, you can, and only by God's grace. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, the unconverted rabbi, used every means possible to persecute the church. After he became a Christian, Paul never used human weapons to fight God's battles. In the midst of persecution, might not respond in our own flesh, may we not respond in our own fleshly strength, but leave it in God's hands. See, I love Paul because Paul beforehand was persecuting and Saul of Tarsus. He was chasing down Christians. He held the coats while they stoned Stephen to death. And then the Holy Spirit got, got a hold of Peter. I mean, Paul, he had a head-on collision with Jesus Christ. And when he had that head-on collision with Jesus Christ, he said, who are you, Lord? And then he came to know the Lord. And now he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And now he was used mightily by Almighty God. And guys, if you're walking in the flesh, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We must learn to see persecution as a time not of divine punishment, but a spiritual growth and enrichment. Whatever trial we go through is an opportunity for us to grow and God to be glorified. I think of the Apostle Paul, when they were all wanting to stone him and kill him, and the Roman soldiers rescued him, and they're carrying him up these steps, and he gets up in this high spot, and there's this crowd wanting to kill him, and he turns to the soldiers and basically, paraphrase, can I say something? And he starts preaching the gospel to the people who want to kill him. That's when you say, opportunity for the gospel. Next time you're persecuted, recognize it's an opportunity for the gospel. Amen? It's an opportunity for us to grow, for God to be glorified. So love is a choice. Again, it's not always an easy one to make, especially in times of difficulty. So love one another, love your enemies, and now love life. Look what it says here, beginning there in verse 10. For he, would, he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and the ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So he's quoting Psalm 34 here, and Peter is encouraging his persecuted brethren to deliberately decide to love their life. Love is an act of will. We choose to love each other, and you can choose to love the life that God has given you. You know what's amazing to me? The Apostle Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, was falsely accused, beaten when he did nothing wrong, was stoned to death, got back up and went right back into the same city after God raised him from the dead. He was thrown in prison, and I can't really, maybe someone will correct me, but I don't see him complaining anywhere in the Bible. And none of us have gone through one-tenth of that, and we're quick to complain. Amen? It's windy today. I don't know if I'm going to go to church. 
and wind, total drag. I really like that church for walking up that hill, really? This word can be translated here, he who wills to love life. Not talk, and again, not just positive confession. You've met this person where every time you talk to him, hey, I'm doing great today. I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? You've met, you've met those people, right? <laughs> kind of nauseating a little bit, right? <laughs> I've told you guys this story. It bears repeating. We had this guy who came to our sales training in San Jose. This is like 25 years ago, but this guy was such a, a unique individual. I'll never forget it. And he was supposed to come in and get us all excited and be positive. And he had us all stand up, and then he said, I want you to do this. I want you to say this right now. And then the, tomorrow morning, when you get up and look in the mirror, I want you to say this every morning. I sizzle with power and enthusiasm. <laughs> We're all looking at each other like, you've got to be kidding me. And then he had F-bombs coming out of his mouth, and he was crude, and he was foul, and a lot of what he said, it was all flesh-driven. And I leaned over to the guy next to me who was a believer, and I said, well, if this guy doesn't get saved... He's going to sizzle, but there ain't going to be no power and no enthusiasm. <laughs> we need to pray for his salvation, amen? But it's, I'm not talking about loving. I just love life. No, guys, we love life because we know the giver of life. And he lives inside of us. And he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And we have the promise of eternal life, amen? And because of who we are in him, it gives us a proper perspective, we recognize that we may go through, we're going to go through trials, right? The Bible tells us. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Guys, no matter what happens between here and the end, we know who wins in the end, and we're on his side. Amen? Amen? And we're going to come back with him. And we're going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years on the earth, seeing what the world would be like with God in charge. Who's looking forward to that? Amen? No more Senate, no more elections. God's on the throne. Amen? Amen? Longing for that. But here's the thing. We can't see that in our world around us, but we can see it now because God can be on the throne of your life right now. Amen? And he should be. Who's on the throne? Your will, your desire, or the Lord? Again, not talking about some kind of conjured up, you know, prosperity thing or some superstitious belief that flies in the face of the truth, but a true love but to truly love, it requires a choice. How to approach life as a choice. We can decide to endure life and make it a burden. We can endure life. We can attempt to escape life as though we're running a battle and live in fear. Or we can enjoy life, not because of our circumstances, but because we know who's in control. And again, it's that agape love, that selfish, unconditional love that is impossible apart from the empowering work of the Holy Spirit that allows us to love this life. That word there again is agape. So you can have a life that's agape, an agape-filled life where you love and serve others, esteem others greater than yourself. It's a choice to truly surrender our lives completely to God, to will, to love, and to enjoy life because we know that God is in control. Such a choice impacts our behavior and will result in God's blessing. And again, the context of Psalm 34 we're reading here was not necessarily free from problems. The psalmist wrote about fears and troubles and afflictions and even a broken heart. And a good day for the believer who loves life is not one that is pampered and sheltered, but it's one which he experiences God's help and God's blessing in the midst of life's problems. I said it last week. You know, you guys all know Daniel 3, one of my favorite things in the my favorite places in the Bible, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they make a stand for the Lord. He's going to throw them in the fire. Who's the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Throw them in. You can just see the, the veins popping on King Nebuchadnezzar. Throw them in the fire. And then he looks in and he sees four in the fire, one in the likeness of the Son of God. And they're no longer chained. And he has to go from, who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? To come out, come out, you servants of the Most High God. The part of that story people forget about is they came, they had to be called out of the fire because it's better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him, amen? But also, Jesus was still in the fire. And you know what? He's still in the fire. What I mean by that is the next time you're going through a trial, the Lord's going to be with you in it, amen? And it's better to be in that trial with the Lord than out of that trial without him. 
And so we need to recognize, you know, in Psalm 23, you know, uh, it talks about the good shepherd. That's the Lord, of course. And it's real easy when everything's perfect. When you're lying down in green pastures, you can forget where the shepherd is. You're lying down in the grass and everything's great. Where's the shepherd? He's right there somewhere. But when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you hold on to him with both hands. Amen? And so the trials of life are things that God uses to draw us closer to him. And guys, if we're always laying down in green pastures, we can forget about the shepherd. So we need to praise God in the midst of the storm and be thankful that he's with us. Amen? And, you know, it is a day in which, you know, he, we are to magnify the Lord. Psalm 34, what's going on in his life? He's magnifying the Lord. He's experienced unanswered prayer. He's tasted the goodness of God and he senses the nearness of God. How do we know if someone has truly chosen to love God? And the life that God has given us? It's reflected in our behavior. It's reflected in our behavior. Notice what it says there. He would love life and see good days. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Now, we saw this in James chapter 3, that this thing I have is a problem for all of us. Can I get an amen to that? That thing could be a big problem. It says your tongue is like a rudder that can steer a great ship, Right? And we get more trouble with this than anything else. Amen? And so he says, refrain, which means curb or cause to cease, implying that our natural inclination is to speak. Has anybody besides me ever been talking to somebody else? You don't even know what they're saying because you're so ready to say what you want to say? Amen? Truth? Right? We're so ready to talk and we want to get our point in and everybody's one-upping each other. It says in James 3, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets it on fire, the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. That's what the Bible says. If anyone knew the consequences of hasty speech, it was Peter. Peter's writing this. And he's telling people, refrain from hasty speech. Refrain from your tongue doing evil. He's the one that said, not so, Lord. By the way, you can't say not so and Lord in the same sentence. Because if you say not so, he's not Lord. Amen? It's only yes, Lord. He was the one that cursed. He was the one on the Mount of Transfiguration. Oh, let's build three tabernacles, one for each of you. Put Jesus on the same level as Elijah and Moses. No. Peter's the only one where God has to interrupt him and tell him to shut up from heaven. God the Father, Pete, shutty town, hear him. That's Jesus right there. Be, now, Pastor Day paraphrase, but just be quiet. <laughs> Jesus is right there. Listen to the Lord. He talks from heaven because Peter's talking about, he's not listening. Sometimes we need to be quiet. We have, we have one mouth and two ears. Let's use them proportionally. <laughs> Amen? If anyone knew the consequences, again, it was, it was Peter. Peter, after Pentecost, used his tongue to proclaim the gospel with great boldness. He who wills to love his life and to enjoy good days must curb his tongue from evil, from worthless and deprived and wicked speech, from obscenity and slander. Guys, that's only possible with God's help. None of this happens without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Notice it says, in his lips from speaking deceit. The word deceit there is words used to lead others astray. Lying, exaggeration. By the way, a half-truth is a whole lie. Amen. There's no such thing as little white lies either. You know who made that up? A liar. Can I get him into that? <laughs> Who's the father of lies? Who's the truth? Jesus. When you lie, you're being Satan-like. When you tell the truth, you're being Christ-like. Amen? Omitting facts to hide the truth, that too is deceit. It's often done in prideful promotion of self. Or why, why do people lie? Well, they lie because they want to get something or they want to make themselves look better than they really are. It's always driven by pride. It's never driven by a desire to serve and honor the Lord. Amen? Satan's the father of lies. Your word should be an exact representation of the truth, regardless of the potential consequences. Just speak the truth. Do it in love. Again, refrain your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Verse 11. Let him turn away from evil and do good. The word turn away there, in the King James, it says askew. It means more than just to avoid something. It means to avoid it because you despise it and you loathe it. It's not enough to avoid sin because it's wrong. We ought to shun it because we hate it. 
If you're struggling with something, you've got to go from the point of loving it to hating it. Amen? Here's what happens. You can't just play with fire. Can a man hold fire to his bosom and not be burned? Discussion I would have with my, my boys or whoever when you're struggling with something. It's like, you can't just go to the point where you walk away from it and you try to do better and, and stay away from it. You got to get to the point where you hate it. You got to get to the point where you recognize it for what it is. Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Amen? Amen. He wants all of us dead. And you know what we need to do? We need to love God and hate sin. Amen? Get to that place where we, we, we despise it. It's a mark of spiritual maturity. Is the depth of, of your hatred for your own sin. Where you just come to a place where, Lord, I hate it. Lord, help me with it. I'm disgusted by it. I don't, here's, what, here's what the world does. Here's what a, a carnal Christian does. Makes excuses for their sin. Well, yeah, but I only did it because this happened, and what else should I do, and that's what I do. And, 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 you, and you, you make excuses for your sin. You know what a spiritually mature believer does? When he sins, he falls to his knees. He asks God for forgiveness and says, Lord, help me never to do that again. And you know what else? And we make a stand against it. Amen? And that's the difference. Turn away from evil and do good. Job 1.1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was upright and perfect and one that feared God and eschewed evil. It's the same word that you see here. He turned away from evil. You know what's another word for turning away? Repent. Amen? It's a change of mind and a change of heart. You're going in this direction, and this direction is headed to destruction, and it's harmful, and it's destructive, and the enemy's winning, and repentance is recognizing that, and you hear the Lord behind you calling you unto himself, and you turn around and you surrender your life to him. You can take a million steps away from God, guys. It's one step back. Amen? He just, he's right there. He longs for you to come home like the prodigal son. Only time you see God run in the Bible is when he runs to his prodigal son, the picture of God the Father. Amen? He sees his son coming and he runs and he embraces him. Maybe you've walked away from the Lord. Maybe you've been struggling. I want you to know that he's ready with open arms to receive you home. Just turn back. Can I get an amen? And that's what it says. The word is turn away to skew. Walk away from, turn away from evil and do good. I love that. Do good. Walk in obedience to the word of God. Walk in faith and holiness. Glorify God. Love, serve, and minister to others. Acts of kindness and compassion. Live in a way that reveals the character of Christ and points others to him. Walk in faith and holiness. Glorify God. Love, serve, and minister to others. We should be the kindest people on the planet. Amen. We should be kind. We should be loving. When you see someone who's down, it's easy to judge them because maybe they've got an addiction problem. Maybe they got a problem. And it's easy to just go, dude, get a job or whatever we want to say. You know what? What would Jesus do? What would the Good Samaritan do? Let's love them. Amen? Let's not prop up their behavior, but let's love them. He who would will to do his life and enjoy God's blessing must control his tongue and do good and hate evil. We need to do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Matthew 5, 9 said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Galatians 5, 22 says, And the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace. Romans 12, 18 says, If it is possible, as much as, as, much as is possible, live peaceably with all men. The one who wills to love life and to honor God pursues, seeks, works hard to achieve peace, isn't out looking for trouble or seeking to stir up strife. I have a guy who calls me three times a week. I told you this a couple weeks ago. He called me three times this week. He changes his name every time. And I know it's him. It says unknown phone number. And he calls up and he goes, hey, I want to speak to Pastor Dave. And I'm like, this is him. And then he goes, oh, I was on your website. I go, Nelson, Rick, Dave, whatever name you're going by, I know you're Jehovah's Witness. I don't have time for this right now because you really don't want to have a discussion. And by the way, Jesus Christ is God. And if you ever want to have a serious talk, conversation about that, but I don't have time for you to call. And then he starts rattling off this stuff. And, blah, blah, blah. and then I just stop him and say, you know how many times you have to be wrong to be a false prophet? Once. And the Watchtower Society has 11 times predicted the end of the world. So you're 11 times false prophets already. And you have a magazine and you think you're the word of God. I don't have time for this. Two days later, he'll call me again. 
He just wants to stir up strife. Let's pray for what, Lord, whatever his name is, we pray for him. Amen? <laughs> Let us see this guy get saved. But as Christians, we should just go around and, oh, you're a Christian. Why are you wearing that? Why are you doing that? Oh, you guys have drum in your church? Those are from the devil. <laughs> Believe me. There's this mentality where Christian, people calling themselves Christians are fighting with each other over stuff that doesn't matter. Let's just love God and love people. Amen? Amen. And man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. Look peaceable with all men. Seek, work hard to achieve peace. It is not looking for trouble or seeking to stir up strife, but his very presence brings calmness. You know those people, when they come into the room, the place just calms down. Amen? all this strife and then someone comes in they're like oh sorry we we're talking that way when you show up the holy spirit just entered the room amen. Amen? amen when you walk into a circle of people at work and it's holy spirit's now in the conversation amen when you're walking through your neighborhood the holy spirit's walking through so guys when the holy spirit shows up the fruit of the holy spirit should come with them amen and it should be evident and it should, again, we're not, thermo, you know, we're not thermometers, we're thermostats, right? We don't just reflect what's going on around us. We should change what's going on around us, amen? Should change the temperature. Why? The Holy Spirit just entered the building. See, that's why David saw Goliath as a puny man going against Almighty God, and the rest of the people saw 11 foot 750 against puny men. Because when the Holy Spirit showed up, he saw from an internal and biblical perspective, and he knew that his God was greater. See, Goliath is only great if your God is small. We don't serve a small God, we serve a great God. Amen? And whatever you're facing, our God is greater. Amen? God's teaching me that he's greater than grief. He is. We will praise him no matter what. Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He's the father of lies. And Jesus is the prince of peace. We need to be people that bring peace. If God is to bless us and use us, our lives should be a reflection of his character, truth, and peace, not Satan's lies and destruction. Don't put your faith in anything else but the Lord, by the way. Amen? Again, let's vote. Let's do all that. I, I don't align with anybody but Jesus. Amen? Who are you voting for? I vote for Jesus. That's who I vote for. Amen? I vote pro-Jesus. Amen? I vote pro-Bible. And I trust the Lord no matter what. Does your speech stir up strife or does it promote peace? Are you, are you great at winning arguments or are you great at coming in and bringing peace to any situation? Final verse. Notice what it says here. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against the evil. Now, if God is for you, that's good. If God is against you, that's bad. Amen? And notice what he says. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. So what if your enemies are seeking to, to take advantage of us? We're pursuing peace but they're pursuing war. No doubt how these receiving this letter must have felt. Well, they're trying to kill us. All we're doing is sharing our faith. They want to feed us to lions. They want to set us on fire. Caesar Nero's after us. They've kicked us out. We're running for our lives. What are we going to do? And he tells them, eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. That means God knows what you're going through. Amen? He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's walking through this with you. He knew before the foundation of the world you'd be going through this, and he's a faithful God. His eyes are on us. His eyes are on the righteous. Now, Pastor Dave, you told me we're all sinners. Well, how come we're righteous in him? Amen? You know that the Father sees us through the shed blood of the Son, and he sees us as holy and righteous and perfect? Amen? Now, we're sinners while we're here, but we're righteous because of Christ. Our God hears the cries of the righteous. See, because his eyes are on us, he hears our prayers. He knows when we're hurting. We're going to the sing. My wife and I are going to the sing every week. It's called Grief Share. It's at Calvary Chapel Oxnard. And we're going to do that. We're going to do it here in the future. But it's a 13-week program for people dealing with grief. And there's this room full of people that love the Lord. And, and we all have grief in common. And you know the, that the Lord's walking through all of, us, all of us through it? And the Lord's walking with you whatever you're going through. Can I get an amen to that? 
He, he's by your side. He wants to help you. He wants to minister to you. And I truly believe this. He weeps with you when you weep. Amen? The Bible says he puts our tears in a bottle. See, in the midst of this difficulty, he's saying to these Christians who are running for their lives and are, who are concerned they're going to be put to death, they say, hey, God's watching. God knows what you're going through. He sees you. Now, here's what the enemy says. God doesn't care about you. Amen? Why would God let this happen? If he loved you, he would have stopped this. That's the enemy. Amen? The Lord does love us, and we need to trust him. In the midst of difficulty, he loves you. He hears your cries, your prayers. So you pray and you leave vengeance in his hands. Amen? But the face of the Lord, it says, is against evil. It's against evil. So his ears are open to our prayers. He hears us when we pray. His eyes never leave us. But the face of the Lord is against those who are evil. The Jewish writers say the anger of the Lord not just the face of the Lord. In direct contrast to kind, loving, and pleasant countenance upon the righteous, God's anger and righteous judgment is and must be upon those who remain in their sin, who refuse to repent and put their faith in Him. The everlasting torment awaits separation from God and His love and grace and power, and He desires that none should perish, no, not one. You know what? The Lord loves you so much, He'd rather die than live without you. He doesn't see, he want to see any one of us spend eternity in hell. He doesn't want that. By the way, God didn't create hell for us. He created hell for the devil, and people have aligned with the devil, so they're going to hell. Amen? He wants us to spend eternity in heaven. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us His Word. He sent His Son to die on the cross. He convicts us of sin. He's done everything He can to draw us unto Himself, but He won't force a relationship upon us. But his face is set toward those who do evil. Again, because he's a righteous God. Their eyes are upon those to deliver righteous judgment upon them, but also to protect and watch over us. These early believers need not panic or fret. God has his eyes on them. He hears their cries, and his anger is set against their enemy. He's watching. We need not fear, but leave it to him. Again, I find my comfort and my grief through the word. People find it in different ways. And God has really ministered to me in a lot of ways. And I spend time reading my son's Bible and, uh, in the mornings. And one of the things that's in his Bible, and, and, it, and it's so perfect for me, and it was such a God thing. I may have shared this already. But it was in Psalms, and he wrote in the margin, my son that's now in heaven, he said, God sees our tears, he hears our cries, and no matter what tribulation we're going through, Put your faith in him, trust him, he loves you. And my son wrote that in his Bible, and I'm grieving over him, and I'm reading the words that God gave him to bring comfort to me. That's the God that we serve, amen? He's a God who comforts us. He's a God who walks with us. The enemy wants you to think he's abandoned you. He will never abandon you, amen? Be mindful of that. He'll never abandon you. Now, he'll convict you. You start walking in the wrong direction, Amen? Holy Spirit head slap. Anybody feel that beside right? He convicts us. Why? Because he loves us to pull us out of the freeway. Amen? Before the bus hits us. He loves us enough to convict us, to draw us back unto himself. And I want you to know he loves all of you. If we're to, live, if we're to love life, we must control our tongues. We must do good and hate evil. We must seek and pursue peace. And we must leave vengeance in the hands of the Lord. Amen? So love is a choice. Love one another. By this we'll know we're his disciples that we love one another. Love your enemies, you know, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. And love life because, again, we don't want to just endure this life. We don't want to just attempt to escape this life or run from it. But we can enjoy this life, even in the midst of a lost and a dying world, because the Lord is in control and he walks with us. Amen? So now we're going to go to a time of communion. The worship team will come on up. And here at Calvary Chapel, we don't have church membership, but I want to say this, that communion or the Lord's Supper uh, is for believers. So if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, this is not for you, but you can give your life to him right now. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. So literally, it's confessing you're a sinner and asking the Lord to be your Savior and inviting him to take over the throne of your life. And when you've done that, Bible says he's written your name in the Lamb's book of life. He'll never leave you nor forsake you, and you have the promise of heaven. So if you go this time of communion, three things I always ask you to do. It's very biblical. So Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples, 
And we're going to talk about this. And for the first time, he's going to move from the old covenant to the fact that he fulfilled it. So as we hold the elements, just hold them in your hand. We'll take them all together. He says, first of all, he says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So take a moment and just reflect on the cross of Calvary, the greatest act of love in all of human history, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And just remember the great act of love. But not only do we look back, but we look within. You know, be there any wicked way in me. This could be a time of confession for you as well, where you, you, you're holding the elements in your hand, you're looking back to the cross, and maybe the Lord's going to convict you that there's something in your life that needs to change, and there needs to be repentance. And so, Lord, please forgive me as I come before your table. And then finally, Jesus also said to the apostles, the next time I do this, I'm going to do this with you in heaven. So we look back to the cross, we examine our hearts with him, but we should be rejoicing because there's a day coming when we're going to have communion with the Lord in heaven and we're going to see his nail-printed hands, amen, as, as we're given communion with the Lord, amen? Lord, we ask now as we go to this time of communion, just prepare our hearts to spend time in your presence, to do this in remembrance of you. The early church continued steadfastly in apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. And the breaking of bread speaks both of agape feast and this time of communion. So Lord, may we just be quiet and be still before you. Spend some time in your presence, Lord. We do this as an act of worship in Jesus' name. Amen.